Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast, the podcast where we talk about all things art-related. This is episode 101, Three Customer Questions, recorded on June 16th, 2020. My name is Julie Faye Fambalzer, and with me in person, by the way, like actually I can touch her and poke her, uh, but my, you may not. Is my co-host <laughs> Eileen Schubalzer. So hi, mom. Hello, Julie. It's really fun to do this from the same room. I'll be the judge of that. Okay. So I guess everybody will be the judge of that because we'll see how it goes. So a couple of things that I want to point out before we get started. Um, uh, I'm hoping that you what might be interested in considering a Balzer Designs membership. It's just uh, $5.99 a month. You get a live workshop plus a vlog each month. This morning, I actually got a really nice comment where somebody said, Julie, as usual, I'm watching this after the live, but still, it's wonderful. You cover so much so clearly. Thank you. So again, because you don't actually have to be there for the live broadcast, you can if you want through Zoom, but if you can't make it, you get access to all the live recordings. So if you join now, you actually get the whole past year of live recordings. Um, and speaking of live things, I am also actually offering some live online classes right now so that you can take a class through Zoom. I have some Scanica classes. There are some jelly printing classes coming up. I have a long format, week-long workshop in um, block printing on fabric. So lots of fun stuff. And as always, if you'd like to help the show, we do appreciate it if you post about it on social media and let other people know just how awesome we are. So... Today's topic is kind of, uh, I was like, maybe this will make a good show. Mom sends me, I don't know, 30 articles a day. Does that seem fair? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so I would say I read, before the baby, I would say I read like 75% of them. Post baby, I say I'm down to 15% of them. That's really too bad. That's it is. sad. It is. It's low statistics. But she sent me an article the other day and she has been insistent on it and I still haven't read it. Uh, but essentially, <laughs> well, I don't know what the article is about, but what we decided to do because it has, uh, these questions, she wants me to read it because it has questions that you're supposed to ask about your, how you can serve your customers better in it. So considering this is an art related business and all that. So I haven't read the article and mom wanted me to do this with her over the phone. And I said, why don't we just make it a podcast? And that is why you are here to listen to it right now. So. I feel like, in a way, you're turning our entire relationship into business. <laughs> well, you know, I have to say, it is one of the funny things about, like, I have an art business, but also part of my business is me. And so, you know, you do kind of become, like, your life is the business, right? True. Um, okay, so let's do this. You need to do whatever preamble prep because I'm not even sure what we're doing. I'm trusting you in a way that I haven't in years and years. Again, sad. <laughs> so. Okay, so I was uh, on Twitter and there was an article from Inc. I-N-C period magazine, uh, a business analysis by Justin Bur Barroso. Bariso. I haven't got my glasses, so How I'm do you having spell trouble. It? B A R I S O. Okay. So it's about a Starbucks case, but it's really, I think, applicable to your business. But you'll have to bear with me. So Starbucks, which we consider a very successful business all over the world. Corner, yeah. All over the world, is now going through what they're calling a transformational phase which is one of many, and they're introducing a new store format known as Starbucks Pickup. 
So they've always been selling themselves as come and hang out. Come and hang out. Your third place. Use our Wi-Fi. Um, it's sort of your auxiliary living room. Office. Come use our bathroom. Now and who hasn't? Uh, but now they're going to also have Starbucks pickup, which is for customers who want to order ahead and pay through the mobile app for pickup, or who want their Starbucks delivered to them by placing an order through Uber Eats. But what they they're not getting rid of the other, but they think that uh, it, it will position Starbucks for long-term growth. And you might think that this is a COVID response, but actually they were planning this. They've been planning this and analyzing their business for the last two years. Well, I was going to say, I have, like, for instance, when I've held classes locally, I've placed an order on the app, gone to Starbucks to pick up the box of coffee, you know, so that I didn't have to wait in line. Because for them to fill a box of coffee and do all that stuff takes forever if you just walk in. Right. So, um, and what they discovered was that the Starbucks third place experience occurs from the minute that the customer starts to envision their daily Starbucks experience to wherever they enjoy that. So they're shifting strategy because they're realizing that the third place idea is now more symbolic than literal. The third place idea Thinking of Starbucks as your not living home, room. It's not work, it's a third place. Right, that has been their strategy okay. up to now. But they're realizing that symbolic and that people still have the same feeling about Starbucks, even when they... Take the coffee somewhere right. else. Okay. So, uh, this data change in customer behavior, they had noticed it before coronavirus. That people were staying less in their stores yeah. and just... That about 80% of their transactions in mm -hmm. the U.S. actually are on the go. So, they decided to examine their U.S. stores and devise, as this article says, a new strategy that could capitalize on changing customer behavior, okay? And what the article says it's, is that this is, direct quote, this is more than a brilliant series of moves on the part of Starbucks. It's also a lesson in emotional intelligence, the ability to understand emotional behavior and put that knowledge to work. So they leveraged data from their mobile app and store sales. They had a realization about the brand, and after all these years of building this emotional connection, they've decided that they have the confidence to make adjustments to make the brand more efficient and improve customer experience. And uh, the case study, they said, is uh, a way of how businesses can stay relevant and take advantage of a negative situation to make positive changes. And then it says, uh, here are some questions that you should ask yourself about your business, even if you didn't have any changes planned, because you've got the time now to take a long, hard look at your business. Okay. Right? Both pre and post pandemic. So I'll ask you these three questions, and then I'd like you to think about your art business. You know, three questions just makes me think of Passover. Well, but okay. Isn't that four, it's four questions. questions? I recognize that. And Although it is the youngest in the room who has to answer, so that go. makes sense. I' nice to know that if I'm in a room with you, I'll still be young. Isn't that great? <laughs> so here is the first question. Okay. 
Hit me. What about your customers has changed in the past two to five years and what can you learn from it? Mm, okay. So I feel like I should be writing this down. I feel like you what should has, too. Okay, good thing I actually brought over some paper and I have a pen somewhere. I just need to do it. Okay, so what has changed about my customers in the last two to five years? So we're not just talking pandemic. Right. And what, what can you learn from it? Is I often run into people in my classes who are on the cusp of retirement or have just retired. So that's probably a big change. Um, and so that's part of the reason they're in classes because they have the free time. I would say pandemic wise and other stuff, what has changed is that a lot of people obviously have less income. Um, and to a certain extent, um, it's a funny thing. I find that people are sort of bifurcated. Half the people have more time and half the people have less time. I think a lot of that depends on whether you have little kids. Um, I would say my customer base tends to skew older, 60 plus. So that's generally not people with little kids. So probably they have a little more time. And that also adds to the retirement thing right now. Here's something that has yeah. changed temporarily that may change more. You, Your customers, you used to have quite a few in-person classes where you would go to the customers. Right. And I think... The book is open on whether at post-pandemic, which who knows, it could be several years, right? whether people will have gotten out of the habit of wanting to travel to classes. Zoom and, classes are so easy. Like right. having taken a Zoom class just now from a teacher very far away from me, like that was awesome. I don't ever want to have to pack my bags right. and go to class. Right, again. and so whether this will permanently change people's behavior about going to a class yeah. and their attitudes about taking a class online. So that's another right. thing to write down of online versus in person. And I think actually that is a trend that probably you could see happening just with the internet getting as advanced as it is, you know, as opposed to where we were maybe five years ago, as they were saying in the last two to five years. It's just like it, it's like it put the fast forward button on it. Right, and as an older person myself, I feel I can characterize this without getting in too much trouble. Many of the people who were resistant to taking online classes may have been in my age group, and this pandemic may have forced them to learn these skills and to find that they really quite like it. And I will say so that, you don't that most of the women, and it has been all women in my live online scan and cut classes so far, have been over over 40, potentially over 50, just guessing, looking. I would say most, not all. And so there are plenty of people, I would say even older than that in their 60s and 70s, um, who have figured out Zoom and found a way to make it work, you know? Well, I also noticed that on every announcement of one of these live Zoom classes that you're teaching... You include two links to instructions about how to use Zoom yes. because it's, you're still at the phase where the customer may not be comfortable with that. Right. But that could be a change that might actually affect quite a few of your new customers. So that's something to think about. Yeah, and the question of like making technology as a barrier or not as a barrier is an interesting one too. And I think... Some of that, I mean, if we relate this even just beyond art business into art making, I think for a lot of people, the question of technology as a barrier, like, can you do the digital part of what you want to do in order to get the artwork you need? Can you figure out how the print, the kind of printer you need in order to make it work? Or even some of the technical aspects, 
that aren't strictly computer literacy. But, you know, I get a thousand and bajillion emails and DMs a day about like, what kind of paint do you use? What kind of this do you use? Because people are looking for all those sort of technical specs. And I think the, the, the fewer barriers, this is why I always tell people like, you need to learn the boring things. Because it, when you don't have those technical barriers anymore, then you can really be free. Well, actually, it even applies to some people who are intimidated by the scan and cut. They get it home and they don't take it out of the box for yeah. two years yeah, yeah. because for them, the technology piece of it is an obstacle. So this it may be, uh, and I think you're in the process of doing this even now, that one of the things you think about is should you offer more technology classes that help people move beyond that? So right. that's another question. It there. is. It is. And also I would say like the technology, I get back into the basics and the foundations of art, which is again, like I know that people are not super excited about a class that focuses on color mixing. It's not as sexy as, hey, make an art journal page every single day or hey, make a beautiful canvas of this lady. But it's like, you're not going to, that is going to be so much harder for you if you don't already have the foundation work. You know, taking a boot camp where you really put in the work to learn about design or how to use a sketchbook in your art or any of these sort of like really basic skills, it doesn't have the sexiness. And I wonder sometimes, um, just relating it back even to the business question here about whether because my customers tend to be people who are in their 60s and at you know towards their retirement age and all that kind of stuff that they're just not they've waited long enough to get to this point and they don't want to start from that point i don't know it's just a guess okay although i don't want to characterize your customers as just older because i know there is a younger group and there is, but I would say every demographic that I look at on every social channel says to me, your customer is women. Your customer is women over 60. Your customer is women. <laughs> okay, women but what 60. I'm seeing yes. is that maybe it's just from the pandemic. Yeah. These women are often working with their children or grandchildren mm -hmm. to do things together. Yeah. And so if you want to think about it, down the road, you might be able to tap into some children projects. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Uh, well, that's actually an interesting question in terms of not what has changed about my customer over the last two to five years, but what has changed about me over the last two right, to five years. Right, you have years. a child now. Because I have a child. And so I think before, whenever anybody, ever anybody wanted children's classes, I felt really out of my depth because I was like, I don't know what kids like do developmentally what time do you walk talk do what you know what i mean and it was very hard so i think like that actually may be an interesting change just for me is whether i end up because i will have to become more knowledgeable about what children's abilities are in art because i will have a child will that make me more useful because i do i still even now he's too little to make no art he's at the stage like, where Whatever art you teach him has to be able to be put in his mouth. Yes, <laughs> the art of eating. Uh, but what I was going to say is, but so it's like, I just, I still feel incompetent in terms of being able to teach a kid's art class because I just don't know what that level of student should be able to do. 
Okay, but this is something the email for the future. Yeah, for the future. I wrote it down as, a, so, as an idea. Is yeah. there anything else that has changed about your customers in the last what three has to five years? About my customers in the last three years. Because I don't want it just to be about the yeah. pandemic. I want because I it think isn't. it's just it's that's so omnipresent right now. Right. I think uh, I'm just trying to think what has sort of changed. I would say I. It's hard to know whether my customer has changed or the industry has changed or what it is. I think there are some things that, like, gel. five years ago, gelatin printing people were like, what? And now it's like everyone's got a jelly plate at home, you know, or at least they've heard of it. They know what the sort of... Well, that's is. a continuing thing where new products come yes. online. And I think uh, an important piece of this is just to always be finding out what the new products are and being able to offer people instruction and support before they decide that it's too intimidating to start something new or they don't know how to incorporate it into their existing art practice. So maybe just a reminder to yourself, thinking about this, mm. that the, customer, the customer's tools will always be changing and so as a business right. as an art business you always have to be in tune yourself well, so then to what is new so then in the it's, it's it's not a question of what's new in my little division market it's a question of what has happened in the world what has changed i mean i would say i think people are more i mean to use the phrase woke People are more, I've seen a lot more people be political than they've ever been. I've seen a lot more people be interested in that kind of stuff. I'm not sure how that gets into my business in any way, shape, Well, but you can keep that in mind. But I would say that's an interesting thing to say. How about the fact that as Instagram has grown, mm. people are now posting their work more, which means that the work has to have certain characteristics in order to look good on Instagram. So that would be another, I think, change over the past three to five years. Yes, some people did Instagram, but now so many more people do it. It's true. And I would say, like, it's much more common to have challenges online or sell people, post your pictures to Facebook, post your pictures to Instagram, whatever, and that's how people will look at them and that's how people will consume them. Right. So what else? Um, what else has changed? What else has changed about the world in the last two to five years? I don't even know. I mean, are people, I actually, in an odd way, feel like people are less environmentally conscious huh. than they used to be. Because, I mean, partially because recycling, you know, now that China is no longer taking our garbage, recycling has really become uh, difficult, expensive, and effective. You know, people have realized the carbon footprint of air travel and all that kind of stuff. So it's like, I think on a meta level, people are aware of it. But on a micro level, I wonder how much people are doing. I don't know. What okay. do you think? I don't know. Mm. And I would say that the effect of this pandemic is also unknown as because I feel like people are becoming this and the whole social movement thing. Yeah. People are much more, I think, into climate awareness than they were even just eight months ago. Maybe my feeling is that people are more apathetic. Okay, about well there's it. so many things to be concerned about yeah and active about 
So in a way, I think you have to pick. Nowadays, people are feeling they have to pick right. a couple of areas to concentrate on. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just enraged all the time, which... <laughs> it's not a pleasant state of being. Yes, no. it's true. Okay. I don't know what else has changed. Um, Specifically, your customers specifically for your business. My customers for my business. I don't know what else okay. has changed. Okay, well, let's just keep this question in your mind, because as you go through your daily work you may find that something suddenly okay. occurs to you and i would say anybody out there who's listening if you have some good ideas chime in let's oh, yeah. crowdsource this so the second question is what are you current not currently offering that would interest your customers not currently offering that would interest my customer um i have i can think of some things that we've discussed from time to time but you haven't really been actively doing it okay. i feel like there's a demand for if you had things to download whether it's patterns for the scan and cut or mm -hmm. uh whether it's uh pages to be colored mm -hmm. whether it's some of the hand carved blocks uh stamps that you do are uh printed papers printed papers to be used in mm -hmm. projects i mean i just think this goes to your online store it it's there but it i don't think you i don't necessarily put the energy focus in. and stock it yes and there's a bunch of stuff in there i think that there's some um I definitely get a whole long list of downloads that definitely people would like. So I did briefly for a while think of doing this thing called Stencil Club where people could download, get a download of a stencil every month that would they could cut with their electronic cutters and, you know, sort of stuff like that. But, like, all those plans, like everything else, it's right. like I just I mean, get too you busy. Have to, you have it's to have true. sleep sometimes. But I, I do know think that there this are, is on the list. I mean, I know there are specific classes that people have been looking for and asking for. I've always tried to maintain that my in-person classes are different from my online classes so that there's in, there's so much value in getting your butt to class, etc. Um, but looking at the way that things are going now, it might be time to, to put some of those online. Um, I would say... What else do my customers want from me that I haven't been doing? People have often asked about like my hand painted aprons or some of my handmade journals and some of that is just cost prohibitive, meaning like it takes me so much time and energy to do those. It would be like, do you want to buy an apron for $250? It's not an apron though. It's a work of art. You have to think, yeah. this is not, you know, reproduced mm -hmm. by a manufacturer. Right. So that's an area that you can explore you have started to explore selling some of your art i do and i think that could be an area simply to think about in terms of your business i'm not right. saying any of these are you know plunge in sell a thousand units a month or right. something never but i think it's some interesting ideas is it that. out there we've discussed a calendar which features your right. art people have asked me all the time about fabric fabric uh stationary cards you know mm -hmm. uh i just think in your downtime which is like five minutes probably in the bathroom <laughs> you could think about 
what kinds of things does does there seem to be a demand for but you know that what you could is good about this is looking at this list it's like what would i need to get this done i'd need to do duplicate myself or would i just need to get an assistant and say see these original pieces i need you to scan all these do the digital cleanup of them get them ready to download do you right. know what I mean? Right. Like that I think is where the issue lies of trying to figure it mm-hmm. out. And obviously, you know, it's impossible right now to hire somebody, but I think down the road, that is a goal for me, which is in order to do some of these things, I think I just physically need another human being. Right. Yes. And also you might need, right now you don't have a babysitter. Due right. to the pandemic, you had to not have a babysitter, but uh, there will come a time that a babysitter could come back into our lives. And that might help, too. It's true. You know. It's true. Yeah, I think I, I think it's an interesting thing. Like, there are a lot of people talk about this, and it's, uh, and I think it's true, which is the, if you do what you love, you basically will work harder than you've ever worked in your entire life endlessly and every single day, you know? And I think the burnout is real, even if it's something that you love. And I think I've seen a million posts from artists talking about burnout just because to keep a small business like this running, it is hustle 24 seven. When I think about how, you know, days after the baby was born, I'm trying to get blog posts together and, you know, answer emails and get all that stuff. And it just, it's crazy. You just, there is no time off. And I said to Steve the other day, I was like, um, I said, oh, he had done something. I can't remember what it was. I think he was washing like all the bottles by hand because the dishwasher was full and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, thank you so much for washing the dishwasher. And he was like, he was like, no, thank you for, you know, keeping this family. He's like, you work, you work like a crazy person every single day. Um, and I, and it was a funny thing for him to say to me. I don't know why I felt like it was funny, but it was like, I was like, oh, I do work like a crazy person every day. Because sometimes I think I feel like I'm treading water because it's like this big pile of stuff and it ne- I'm always behind. I never seem to get through it. And yet, oops, my chair didn't like that. And yet, you know, it's like I'm working, I'm, I'm running as fast as I can. Well, the nature of a home business yeah. is that there's always more you can do and the office is right there. Yes, it's true. There's always more you can do. I think, I actually think that that is what happens sometimes with artwork, which is you are so intensely wanting to work on it that you like overwork it, you work on it so hard and so intensely, you lose the forest for the trees, you, you know, you just start to obsess about it and you feel like you're making no progress because of that. And so interestingly, with my artwork, I feel very comfortable putting out six different things and then I jump around to the six different things so that I don't overwork anything. Right. Over here, I've got my scanning cut set up and over there I have a jewelry set up and over there is my painting desk and then I've got my computer. And then in the back, I have a photo set, you know, so it's like, okay, I'm going to do this. And then when I get frustrated, I just, you know, leave it, go on to the next, come back to it. So I think that's very comfortable for me. And I've been trying now in my business, instead of feeling like you must buckle down and do six hours of whatever, 
I feel much more comfortable sort of jumping around a little bit. So it's funny because even though this bashing thing, which I know we've talked about on the podcast before, has been a good idea for me in a lot of ways, I find that even within the batching, like, okay, today I'm doing email, I need to jump around or I go insane. I remember a terrible summer job I had. Well, it didn't end up being terrible, but the first day nobody knew what to do with me. I was in high school. Uh, and so they just had me standing at the Xerox machine for an entire eight-hour day just Xeroxing things. And... You know this. It's like any repetitive work. Your yeah. brain just dies. Yeah, one hundred percent. You have to do something to keep it alive, and it's very, very hard. So yeah, I would say it's. Uh, anyway, I don't even know how we got on this track. I can think. Of, I think what it is is when you're thinking about like what could you do more for the customer, it leads you to say like why aren't you doing that. What are the barriers yeah. of why you're I not mean, doing that? I mean, that's a good thing to look at. What yeah. are your barriers? And then the other piece is what could you do more to make your art business more satisfying to you? Right. That's a different focus, but I think it's equally important because if you're doing it and hating it, mm -hmm. what's the point? You know, by the way, I'm very proud of, and I should point this out because I don't pat myself on the back about it enough, but, like, I never said one of the barriers is figuring out the technicalities of how to get that stuff for sale. One of the barriers is figuring out how to get the technicalities of, you know, uh, scanning the work and cleaning it up and getting it ready for a download site. None of that. Because that is all stuff that I have taught myself over the years. And I think that's that's. I think that's good. outstanding. I mean, you needed web a website. You, you could have hired someone, but you didn't. You took classes, you took HTML, you learned to make your own website. And I think that's your approach to all sorts of things. It is. And that's always my approach to art making, which I think is why when people send me questions about how do I, why do I, what should I, my answer almost always is like, just try it. Because I think that's the way that I learn and I have learned. I've, I have also learned over the years that not everybody's comfortable with that style of learning. They want to be told and given a, a path to take. And I think I feel not stifled by rules, but I often feel uh, like they're a fence that I want to climb. You know, I'm the person who, when I got my first iPhone years ago, mm. I said, okay, where's the instruction booklet? <laughs> what? There is no instruction booklet? Right. Who gives you a new piece of technology and doesn't give you an instruction, instruction booklet. booklet. Well, apparently Apple. Yeah, and they'll never go anywhere. Yeah, exactly. Um, they'll never be successful <laughs> with that approach. The point is, it does force you if, you, if you develop the turn of mind where you are willing to take that time, it does force you to learn it in a deep way because once you've figured out something, you'll retain it. Yeah, and I should say that, like, I am a huge fan of classes. Even during this pandemic, I've taken several. I've bought and paid for multiple different classes and taken lots of different classes. A, because some of my favorite teachers are online now, you know, and I'm actually able to do that. Um, but B, just because I love learning. And I think that what I like so much about the Zoom classes is the teachers can lay out their fence, <laughs> 
the guidelines, the rules, and give me some stuff. And I'm like, if I like it, great. I'll stay and play in the yard. And if I don't, I'm going to, you know, Kool-Aid man style, break through that fence. And nobody cares because I'm not disrupting class by doing it because they can't really see, you know what I mean, what's going on. It, it actually makes me think of like this quick step class I took with Irene Roderick. And it's like, this is a two color quilt. And I was like, I need a third color. And it's not like anybody was saying you absolutely can't have a third color, but it made a huge difference to me mm -hmm. to bring in that third color. And if I had come to class as opposed to doing it over Zoom, I wouldn't have had the fabric to add the third color because the supply list said two colors. And it would have been a totally different experience and a totally different quilt. So that is one of the nicest parts about taking the classroom home is that I was able to do that because I had it at my fingertips. Okay. Who knows? So do you feel we've... So I feel like we've covered this. We, we, I feel like we've wandered across the earth in a thousand different directions that had nothing to do with where we started. But let's get back on track. Question number three: How can you improve the customer experience? How can you make things easier for them? And this goes to uh, two different things. One is improving the customer experiences, and is between you and them, yeah. and signing up and you know, accessing whatever, yeah, but yeah. the how can you make things easier for them, I think goes to your teaching style and philosophy. Well, I would say one thing that I have really been thinking about is my classroom site is really slow. Uh, it just is, it's a slow website. It's loaded with tons and tons and tons of content. So it's just slow um, to load. And so it's beyond my technical abilities to fix that at this point. And I have been researching for a little while the different things I would need to do. And most of them boil down to I need to pay somebody several thousands of dollars to have them fix it. Okay. And I keep hoping that I'm going to be able to figure out how to fix it myself. And I keep reading tutorials and I keep trying things and nothing works. So what I could do is I could just suck it up. Do you know what I mean? And find it but it's a it's a it's not like it's like three thousand dollars it's like fifteen thousand dollars which is a lot of money have you looked i'm sure you have one of your major resources is lynda.com tell have. people about it. so lynda.com is a wonderful resource and actually i used to have a paid membership and i now have a membership through my local library and so you can check to see if your library offers you free memberships as well um, but what it is, is it's an on, I believe it's actually it used to be called lynda.com and now it's like LinkedIn learning. Cause I think LinkedIn bought it, but it is an enormous library of video classes in virtually any program you can think of. You want to learn how to use, uh, you know, Adobe pro you want to learn how to use final cut. You want to learn how to use word, WordPress. Dreamweaver, you know, think of a computer program and there are multiple videos on how to use it. Um, and they, some of them are very advanced and I like watch part of it and my eyes cross and I'm like, this is clearly not the class I need to uh, go to. And others of them start from the very beginning and walk you through like what all the tools are and you sort of play along with it. So that is how I learned how to use illustrator photoshop you know do html wordpress like everything um they're really useful they're long though like the i mean not that could be a bad or a good thing because they're very intensive and they cover so much 
the classes can be 20 hours worth of content. So it's not like you're going to sit down and be able to an hour later figure it out. You know, they're, uh, they're very good though. I, I do recommend them. Um, so yes, I've looked at lynda.com. I, I will continue to hunt and try some other things. It's some of it is just some advanced level coding and also some questions and issues that uh, of with my host that I don't totally understand and my host is not totally forthcoming with. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. It, it is, it is one of the big questions that's been on my mind. You know, I listened to a podcast the other day and they said one of the things to do during this pandemic, I know that everything can't always be about the pandemic, but let's face it every day when I wake up, I'm aware that there's a pandemic cause I have to put on a mask and I have to, you know, pretty much stay in my house and not see anybody. Um, but is that this is the time to look at the infrastructure of your business, which is true because for a lot of people, you know, you may not be interfacing with customers as much. You may have some more downtime. You may whatever. So it's time to look at all those things. It's like uh, you didn't, you know, it's like thinking, I feel like there's more uh, street work going on now because if nobody's driving down that street, it's easier now to, to tear it up, you know, and fix it, et cetera, et cetera. So Anyway, regardless, all of that is to say this is an infrastructure problem that I'm aware of and I have been trying to figure out how to fix and I will have to figure it out. But my goal is to see if I can still fix it. And if I really, really can't by the fall, then I will have to scrape together, spend some time scraping together some money. So how can you make things easier for your customer? I actually think, yeah, here again, I'm bringing it back. You have a philosophy of teaching. I noticed that when you list your classes... You're very specific about the tools and skills mm. that you need before you take the class because there's nothing more frustrating than signing up for a class and then you get there and you're, you realize it's not a good fit for you or you didn't bring everything. Yes. But it there are other ways, I think, when you teach what that you try to make ways? things easier and if there are ways that maybe you could even make it easier. Yeah, I mean, I know I try, like one of the things I try to build into my online classes is to anticipate what the questions might be so that they're answered in the video. I try to always do a video that includes mistakes and how to fix them, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Because I think like if you just see it perfectly done, then you don't understand, you know, what you did wrong or where you went wrong. I mean, I was, but one of the things that's been really interesting in the live online classes is a number of students have said to me, mine didn't turn out that way or I don't have the same screen as you did. What did I do wrong? And while it may be true that you did something wrong, the question I think, because we are so self-blaming should not be, what did I do wrong? It's like, it's more like, uh, you know, this is where I am. How can I get back to where you are? How can I move it over? Like it's the wrong question is what I would say. I know somebody asked me actually during the art journaling um, Zoom class I taught if I would teach a class that was basically in like getting rid of your inner critic and stuff. And, I, and I've been thinking about it because I think that that is a really good, like maybe the most important art skill you can have. Mm -hmm. Can you get rid of that, you know, person beating you, flagellating you for every mistake, every moment, and constantly asking the question, what did I do wrong? Instead of saying, where am I at? And how can I get where I want to go? And the reason, here's the reason, okay, this is going to get nitpicky, but, um, 
The reason I think that you should ask yourself the question, where am I at now and how can I get where I would like to be instead of what did I do wrong, is what did I do wrong is paralyzing. It becomes a, I'm scared to do anything. I'm scared to touch it again. I'm scared to move left. I'm scared to move right because I did something that clearly messed this up. If you say to yourself, where am I and where do I want to be? Then it's like you're in problem solving mode. You can actually see here's where I am and here's where I need to get to. Now I just need to have to figure out what that leap is. And I think that to me feels active. It feels full of action. It feels full of like um, hope, of promise, of uh, ability to work towards something. And so I think that feeling is one that we should all have. So it's even in like, what can I do to help improve the customer experience? It's like, if I can teach people not to think about what they did wrong, not to, you know, do that kind of stuff, but instead to find the words to close that gap between where they are and where they want to be. Okay. I also feel that, for example, you've made probably hundreds of videos now about the scan and cut yeah as part of your paid work and what i find so interesting is they are often to answer what appear to be questions that nobody has realized the customer would have mm. but you have somehow thought of them and i think that's part of making it easier for the customer is anticipating that what's obvious to you may be intimidating and not obvious at all to them. I mean, but you know what's interesting is the only way I know those things, and this gets back to some of the in-person stuff, the only way I know a lot of those questions is from demoing at trade shows and people will come up with a question or from teaching a class or sometimes it is from like emails or questions that I get where in a week I could get the same question eight times and say, I had no idea that so many people were having trouble with this. You know? Yeah. And so I think, like, the thing is, none of us know what we don't know until... So I think maybe the extrapolation from that has to be about listening to people. Okay. And what I would say is, what I know they do in big customer service centers, like, so for instance, and the only really big customer service that I have any uh, first-hand knowledge about would be Brother, and I know that, like, when you call their customer service, they log every call. And they basically say, like, whatever the problem was. And that way, somebody at the end of the month can go through and say, there were 33 calls about this. There were 27 calls about this. And so the things that have the higher numbers, you go, okay, well, then this is a problem that we really have to address because it's a it's a bigger problem. And maybe the thing that had three calls about it, it's like, okay, well, that's somebody's individual issue. And so, because, I mean, this is obviously the way that statistics mm. in a vague and very loose way works, right? So I think one of the things I could potentially do better to serve my customer better would be if I actually logged some of the emails and the questions that I get instead of just like quickly answering it or deleting it or whatever, if I was actually like, okay... I got, even if it was just like little ticks, how many archer link questions did you get? How many scanning questions did you get? How many da da? And that might be a way for me to say like, oh, there needs to be education in this. There needs to be some more information about that. So I'm gonna write that down. Something I could do is log calls, meaning like emails, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
that would probably be helpful. I do think that people should know you do read the comments on your blog, for example. I do. I love them. I love to read them. So I respond to them about half the time, usually only when people have a question. Um, but I do. I love to read them. Just like the comments on this podcast, just like anything else. I would say I tend to be a person who is, despite the fact that I can talk until I'm blue in the face and you might consider me to be quite loquacious, um, I tend to be rather terse in electronic communication, short, sweet, to the point. And I uh -huh. hate getting emails back from people that say thank you. I know that's stupid and terrible, but I'm always like, why do I have to read your email that says thank you? Because at the moment, I believe I have... I have three email accounts and in one of them I have 2,888 unread emails. In another, just a measly 56 unread emails. In the last, 1,289 unread emails. I just saw my name flash by. At least one of them is from me. I, I love you so <laughs> much, Mom. Anyway, uh, but what I was going to say is so, like, I am so inundated with email. So I always try to make those things, like, really quick, really to the point. But anyway, I can't remember why I was saying that. Just that gets to my thing where people are always reply all yes. when really. Yes. Don't I don't need to all. know if don't they can or can't all. come because they're not coming to my place. Yes. Yeah. So any other things on the improving the customer experience and how you can make things easier for them? Why don't we talk about other art businesses you've encountered hmm. and how they could improve the customer experience and how they could make things easier for you as a customer. Interesting question. Okay. So other art businesses, um, let's start at the very, let's, I mean, like it's, it's an art business, an art museum. What is a way that they could make things easier for me? Um, what usually when I go to an art museum's website, I'm looking for information about hours, parking, you know, that kind of stuff, and uh, uh, exhibits, et cetera, et cetera. When I go to the business in person, I find art museum signage to almost always be deeply disappointing and unhelpful. There are a few, some exceptions with some museums that put a lot of text on their signs, and I particularly like it when they have quotes from the artists, because that seems always more interesting to me than having to hear from a curator. Although you are basically hearing from the curator because they're picking the quotes. But, um, so for me, I like more information when I'm viewing art. Which actually, I should tell you, I have noticed recently, because I've been so stretched thin with the baby and everything, that my blog posts, there have been several times that I've been like, ugh, I should write more about this, but I'm so, I don't have the time to do it. So that actually is something I could add into my business, which is more information. More okay. information. I feel like you just worked me around to that answer by just looking at me and nodding. I'm very, I'm very, <laughs> feeling very manipulated right now, mom. And I, then I'm doing my job. There you go. Um, arts, I mean, like in the information thing, I would say like when I go to an art store, I am almost always looking for um, signage. What is this? You know what I mean? Or if I'm looking for a particular item, where can I find it? And yet most of them do not have either signage or information. It's just like, you should know what this does if you're looking at it. I also like when they show you, I mean, they don't even have to let me try it, but they, like Sephora, I, I don't have to try everything, but 
if they would show me on a card what this color looks like on paper, what this color, yes, what watching. this glue, you know, yeah. to because you want to see what it does. The tube itself or the box or the bottle is not enough information. Right. So information. let me compare what this, this brand to that brand. Right. And why is this brand cost sixteen ninety five and that brand costs forty seven? Right. You know, I, I want to know. I think that's why, like, I like YouTube because you get to see the product. It's like somebody posts about a new product and I'm like, what is this? I want to go to YouTube and see the video of it so that I understand because whether the person using it is doing something I agree with or not, once I see it being used, I'm like, oh, and I can figure out what I want to use it for. Um, but that was actually part of the reason I did, a, I, I did a series, which I suppose is still an open series. It's not like I just haven't done one in a while. That was called Exploring Art Supplies. Where basically I would take a fairly new to me art supply and give it a test run and see what I thought, you know, which was sort of the idea of helping people with some of that stuff. And I suppose that's something I could bring back. Yeah, I think people would be interested in that. Um, you also used to do a thing about art books, you know. Yes, I did. I did. I had an art book club, art, art book book club. And I love art books. I actually just ordered from Amazon two new art books. So I'm, I'm very obsessed right now with this idea, which uh, is these, which is maps, but personal maps. Hmm. So not like cartography. I mean, I guess you could say like a personal cartography, but uh, not nothing, but more like a map of your day, a map of your uh, art studio, a map of your desk, a map of your feelings, a map of your, uh, you know, whatever. And I like that. Yeah, sort of like journaling. Some Something, it mixes somehow like the personal with the idea of something sort of somehow more laid out. I almost, maps are such like gridded, mm -hmm. recorded just conceptually as an idea, like ordered things. And then I feel like I'm such a jumble and these things are such a jumble and they're so um, transient in some way. Today's desk doesn't look like tomorrow's desk, right? So I just, I'm obsessed with ideas. So I bought a couple books that are about personal map making. I don't know whether they'll be helpful <laughs> or not in terms of what I've been thinking about, but I've been obsessing about it and sort of poking around it. And I always find it, like I've said before, I like to explore on my own, but I also like other people's information. And then I like to either dismiss their information or embrace it. So we'll see what these books say. I'm mostly interested in the philosophical portion that they may offer about like making personal maps and thinking about them because I've been thinking a lot about the idea of a map is the idea that it's some way that you could follow something, right? If you have a map and I'm looking for your house, and I have my house on the map, I can plot a course of how to get my horse house to your house. So then the question is, if you're making a personal map, that's about like, how do I get from um, happy, to, or how do I get from sad to happy, right? What does that map look like? What does that, and what does that map look like today? What does that map look like five years ago? What does that map look like five days from now? What does that map look like five, hours from that I mean like it's such an interesting idea of like getting from one place to another and whether are there detours 
that I take all the time and are the detours a necessary part of the trip? So then you have to block it off and it's a one-way situation or are they unnecessary parts of the trip? I mean, there's a lot in it that I think is both intellectually stimulating and kind of exciting. So that is my personal new like brain I love it. I love that. Well, you'll see it when you see this weird scribble that says like happy and sad, you'll be like, Julie, I don't, I don't know what this is, but I don't think you should share it. It's weird. <laughs> I have never said that to you. No, no. You have said to me that was not very good. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Which is a lot different than saying something is weird. It's true. In fact, you would never, if something was weird, I feel like you'd be like, oh, this is weird. I like it. Weird is a compliment. I have said that your son is weird at times because he likes yes. to be upside down. He loves to be upside I down. I have all these photos of him upside down. I, he Today I was feeding him and he just 100%, he, so he was holding the bottle himself a lot of the time now. And he just decided he was not happy. First of all, you cannot feed him if he's not lying on his back. He will have a tantrum about it. He only likes to drink milk on his back. Okay. So I put him on his back because he wouldn't drink it sitting up. So then he's on his back and then he decided it was not enough and he pushed himself and he kept pushing himself until his head was hanging off the back of the couch and he's holding the bottle and drinking upside down. And I just thought, how can that be comfortable? How are you not drowning? It's letting gravity do the work. I guess. Maybe he's much (laughs) smarter than the rest of us. I guess I should try drinking upside down and see how it goes. Not easy. So... Are there other things as a customer at other art things that would make the experience better for you? Um, I mean, people should fan me and give me money the entire time. Oh, I was thinking of peeled grapes. Oh, you're okay. much more. Okay. You're much more. Uh, <laughs> I guess I'm corporate. hot and poor, and that's yeah. why I'm thinking of being fanned and given money. Um. What else at other, well, well, I would say like t- having taken other online classes and stuff like that, what could people do to make it easier for me? I would say um, most people have it down to us. Like, so there are some things that I've done. There are people who don't like to use PayPal. So I have created a way that you don't have to use PayPal now to pay for classes. You can just use a regular credit card. Today, I got an email from somebody saying they don't want to use Zoom because of the privacy issues and what I consider a different platform. And I was sort of like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I just learned this one. I don't know. But that's something that I need to think about is another platform. I mean, what are some, uh, what are some thing, other art businesses? What about like mm-hmm. an, art, an art show, a craft fair, where you go to it and you're, you... So I hate it. I know why they do it. I hate it when they give you the price list on a separate piece of paper and you have to walk around looking for the stupid number. And why don't they just put the price next to the stupid painting? You know, that makes me insane. I just, it's so much harder. And usually at these things, they're huge. So it's not like it's a list of three items. You have like this huge paper copy of 25 things or 40 things. And you're like, which is this? Which is this? Which is this? That to me, again, is a weird information hoarding thing. And it it actually reminds me of how there's this whole belief that people have, like you shouldn't post your prices online for your art. It should be like price upon request or DM me if you're interested and all this kind of stuff, which I think is odd because I think it leads to more people having odd mysteries about pricing, not understanding how people price stuff, 
you know, being confused about why something is worth what it's worth. Da, 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 da. Like, what is the harm of putting your price up? If your prices change, you just say that. I have some classes that I have videos up for that say they're one price. And then later I change the price to something higher. And it just says very clearly when you go to check out, this price costs more. Uh, you know, this class costs more than when I originally advertised it. And I do think it's funny that people think the price should go down after a while. I always think the people who are the come earlies should get the good price and everybody else who waits on it too bad. Yeah. I know. It's the same as, okay, so there's this woman. I, this is a this is a third-hand story. I heard the story about this person from another person who, if her work doesn't sell, she refuses to reduce the price. She never offers a sale on her artwork. Instead, she'll simply take it, paint over it. Because if somebody doesn't want it at that price, then it's not very good. And she's not going to discount how much she sells her work for. Which I think is a really interesting, you know, philosophy of how you feel about your work. And actually, one of the things I have started to do with some of the gelatin prints that haven't sold out of my shop is I'm recycling them back through. And they become the underlayers of a new gelatin print. Because I just said, if people don't like it and they don't want to buy it, then that's fine. I will just take it and remake it. Artists have always painted over canvases. Yeah, always, 100%. And the reasons for doing so vary from time to time. But it's like, I love that idea of valuing yourself enough and of supporting your prices enough to say, I'm not offering you a coupon. You know, I'm what I'm telling you is this is what I'm worth. This is what it is worth. And if it's not worth it that, that to you, that's 100% fine. But I also don't have to keep all my art, old artwork as either a museum to myself or a recrimination to myself of what, you know, didn't work. It's that it can be born again into something new. I just really, I like that idea. But you just said you didn't like that woman's approach. Now it seems like you do like that I woman. I said I did like oh, it. Okay. Why would I not like that she didn't put a bargain price on herself? Okay, so what else, anything else that you can think of to make things easier? Um, or that others know, could make your life easier in terms of make art. make my life easier in terms of art. They should send me all their art supplies. I should get yeah. all the art supplies in the world just delivered right here, carried up the stairs for me and put away. Oh, that would, could somebody invent a self-cleaning up studio? Like a Roomba, but it like puts stuff away. Like a robot that's like like a Mary Poppins spoonful of sugar, snap your fingers, clean up for the studio. That would be amazing. Doesn't have to only be the studio. <laughs> for everything in life. It's I mean, true. the dishwasher is supposed to make your life easier, but don't you find you're just always <laughs> loading and unloading the dishwasher and... The dishes do. don't magically jump from the table to the sink to the dishwasher. But we did make our lives easier when we moved into this house by, like, putting the plates right next to the dishwasher, putting the, you yeah, know, this yeah, right yeah, next yeah. to the dishwasher. And, like, there is stuff that you can do, and that's the same thing about, like, the way my studio is organized in terms of um, where everything goes is has made it so that it's easier to put away. And so I think, again, like thinking about the business, how do you how do you build your business that way, too, so that it's easy right. it, for things that are cumbersome anyway? What's the way to do it to make it easy? I, here's what I'd say, which is I think if there were ways to make my business significantly easier for my customer, 
I feel like I would have already come up with it just because that is actually something I pay a lot of attention to. Um, because that is actually, I would say customer pain points are one of the first things that will immediately kill your business, right? Because people just don't want it to be hard. So those I feel like I've tried very, very hard to do. But who knows? I can always do better. We can all always do better. Isn't that true? And people can write you and yeah. tell you what would make it easier for them. It doesn't mean it's always, I mean, like the person who wanted you to not be on Zoom, you can't. Yeah like change your entire thing for everybody because one person is. Yes, it's true. So the question is, do you, this is back to the logging emails. Like, do you get 20 complaints about it or do you get one complaint about it? Right. I will say I, I have gotten at least three or four emails to me over the years telling me that my voice is annoying. So I, it may be true at that point. There are four people who think so. Or four people who took the time to write me to tell me that it's annoying. Um, but actually, you know, I was thinking if you extrapolate this away from a business back to art making yeah. itself one more time, what you could say is what are the things that would make an art making experience easier for you? Some of that may be having a dedicated space, which may or may not be a pipe dream. And it's like, well, how can you, ha you know, how can you do the things that are equivalent to that? Do you have a cabinet? Can you buy an armoire that you can put everything in? Do you have a cart that you could make a dedicated thing and could, you know, I've or, heard of people who have a tray that fits under yes. their bed so, you know, they don't have to put everything away. They just shove the tray under the bed. Yeah, I think, you know, or what are the other barriers you have to making your art making successful? Do you feel like you can't draw? And if you could just draw, everything would be good. Well, drawing's a skill. Take a class. Keep practicing. Make a commitment to yourself to draw for 10 minutes every single day, you know. Do you wish that you had you know, this supplier, this thing, or do you wish you had that skill or this skill? Like, what are the things that you could do as if you are the customer of yourself to make your art making easier? What can you do for yourself? And I think that if you start to go down that list of how to make your life easier, that is a wonderful list of goals to tick down. And it's a gift to yourself every time. It's putting yourself first and making yourself a priority. You know what I'm thinking of? I have a, I have many pairs of scissors in my house. And the reason I have many pairs of scissors is because I uh, lose your scissors all the time. Or people take them and they don't put them back. Yeah. So I By have the way, them. You live alone, so I find it even funnier that people take your scissors and don't put them back. It's people like you, my <laughs> rotten children who come over. So every time that happened... I went out and bought another pair of scissors. Until now, there isn't a place in the house where you can't very quickly find a pair of scissors. Yeah. And it just, it's a little dumb thing, but it makes my life easier. And I think there are probably other things like this that you can do in your art Well, making. I was going to say, Steve and I had some epic long talks because he really wanted a treadmill. And I was against it because I felt like it was going to be a coat rack. And I was like, if you want to walk, walk outside the door. You know, but then it's like we went back and forth. And the answer is we have a little baby. There isn't the time. And it's like it would just make everything easier to be able to put the baby down for a nap, hop on the treadmill, and then when the baby gets up and you don't, you're, you know what I mean? Because you can't leave the house when the baby's napping, blah, 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 blah. And so it just became a thing of like, let's just make life easier. Let's just make life easier. Yeah. If it becomes a coat rack, we needed more hangers anyway. Well, it's like I have... 
I buy, if there's something I use on a trip, I don't like take it with me. I have a dedicated cosmetics bag that has the things that I'm going to use on the trip. Why should I have to pack and repack it all the time? Yeah, totally agree. Right. Although I have to say during this stay at home period, I have raided my travel bag because I've not wanted ah. to go to CVS. So now I have these business trips coming up and I'm already like, ugh. I have to go out and buy the stuff or I have to move it from the inside. It has to be said, you actually have lists, don't you? I do. I used to have serious lists. And then I traveled so much, it just is like everything was separate. I practically had travel clothes and home clothes, you know. It, it really got very divided up. Anyway, we are once again completely off track. Um, what, what else would you like to say about these three questions? Nothing. I think we've explored and there, you have a, a whole two sides of a page there. Of things to think about. I yeah. think these are not things that you make instant decisions, but sometimes you use them in the future to guide your thinking. I do think it's just like every few years or maybe even less, you, you might rethink anything from your personal relationships and your house to, you know, the clothes you have or what you eat. I, I think... To think that a business, art or otherwise, should remain static is a way to easily become irrelevant. you got to grow. I agree. You and I, adapt. And I think you can extrapolate that outside of business to say if you are, if your art practice uh, is something that you just do and you don't examine, I don't think you grow. Because I think we grow at the moments when our intellect enters the picture and it is in the process of thinking about stuff it is that that the change happens it's actually not in the process of doing it's in the moments of stepping back and considering yeah and so let's close with what this article from ink closes with which is if there's something you want to change you have to identify it but then you have to discover a strategy to achieve it because it's no good to just think of these things but without developing a strategy so now we actually get back to multiple things that we've talked about we're back to instead of what did i do wrong it's where are you now where do you want to be it's actually back to the mapping thing that i'm interested in in some ways which is the map of where are you now and where do you want to be and what are the landmarks between you and that place that you want to be you know, mm-hmm. so I would say like in my business, where am I now? Where do I want to be? And what are the roadblocks? I should do a map like that just for myself. Love it. A little personal map to think about. That's a good idea. Oh, mom, every now and then you have some good ideas. <laughs> Thanks. I think. <laughs> well, speaking of some good ideas, let's wrap up with recommendations. Um, okay. Uh, so I'm going to do my recommendation first, which is I have been watching something on Netflix called The Big Flower Fight. Oh. So it's basically the Great British Baking Show, but with flowers, but kind of not. So it's the it's home and hobby, sort of florist gardeners, whatever. And they have these assignments that are epic. I mean epic. Like the most recent episode, they had to make these giant topiaries of animals and they had to use grasses. And it's everything from an orangutan to a lion to a lemur. Like, I mean, just like interesting stuff. 
And the teams are, some of them actually are gardeners or florists or stuff like that. But there's a team, for instance, that's an, uh, an artist and a DJ. There's a team that's a fashion designer and a florist. So things end up being very much about art as much as they are about gardening. In fact, I would say if you're hoping to learn anything about gardening, you're going to not. It's not like the baking show in that way where you actually learn about baking. It's much more about personalities and about the final aesthetics. So to me, it becomes actually a show about sculpture, which I find very interesting. With plant material. With plant material as Mm -hmm. your material. So, you know, and they've had to make, uh, I'm only on like episode three maybe, but they made like wearable dresses for one. They made, they always have interesting different challenges that use different skills. And what I think is the most interesting is the teams that are the most artistic rather than the teams that have the technical skills are the ones that seem to be coming out on top which is why it feels like a show that's about sculpture okay say the name again it's called uh the big flower fight on netflix okay i'm gonna watch it okay i am recommending and we'll put the link to an article in the new york times from this week about museums who have decided that one of their new missions might be helping people struggle with loss and unrest and providing art therapy. And the Metropolitan Museum of Art is one of the main ones doing this. And uh, they have different programs which they developed during the pandemic to reach out to people. You know, they're like little classes online, but the point of it is not just to learn about art, but to deal with people's mental and emotional health. So I think it's interesting. I think it might be something that will stay after the pandemic. We'll see. Um, Because when museums reopen, (coughs) they may reopen uh, with some new things added on that they've discovered that the public likes. So we'll put this article in and people can see what they think about it. But a, a number of uh, museums are doing it and there might be something that someone would enjoy cool so that's our show um and as always you can find me at juliabalzer.com or on instagram as balzer designs mom has a secret instagram account but nobody's allowed to follow her i use it for stalking <laughs> we'd love to hear from you so please send us an email or leave us a comment and if you'd like to help the show you can leave a review on apple podcasts or you can mention us on facebook or instagram that helps other people find the show so thanks so much for listening and subscribing we'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting podcast.